Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor on behalf of my wife, Erica, and all of our staff and pastors. We're so glad that you're with us today, especially if you're here with us for the very first time, whether you're watching online or you're in person. If you're here with us as a guest, we're so glad that you're with us. I always invite our guests to come back at least three times. Everybody shout three times. Here's why, as I know that when you go to a new place, you don't always get the best experience on the first experience. So my hope is that you would come back and check us out and we could be your spiritual family. Hey, if you are watching online right now, we'd love you to do a few things. Kind of helps us get through some of the social media algorithms to actually be present on people's pages. But you can like, comment, and share. Maybe even leave a review. We'd love for you to do that online. So if you hear me say something good, just go ahead and type out preach pastor inside the comment or something cool. And uh, we'd love to be a part of the conversation there. If you are in uh, person with with us today. Take out your phone, man. Check in on Facebook. Let everybody know you're here. At Rise Church has been one of the great ways we can get uh, kind of the message out uh, that you are at church and they should be as well. We are in the middle of a series called He Shall Be Called. And uh, if you don't know why we picked this message or where that title came from, it came from Isaiah chapter number nine, Isaiah chapter number nine. And it's really a, uh, a great passage of scripture that describes the coming Christ. And if you don't know anything about the Old Testament or the, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is a complex literary book. It really is not the first place that I would necessarily point you in the direction if you're going to start to read the book. Book of the uh, any books inside of the Bible, but it's in the Old Testament. It's written after a prophet named Isaiah, who was a prophet during the latter half of the reign of Jerusalem. And what you see is him come back and start to preach against some of his own people because uh, they were struggling with two main things: they're struggling with idolatry and how you treat people. And you need to know this: that God cares about that. God cares about what you what you worship, right? Other than Him, there's something that you love more than God, and He cares about how you treat other people. And so he he has this moment with the uh, the, the kingdom of Jerusalem inside the Israel. Israel people, and he tells them, he says, listen, God's going to allow a kingdom to come to take you all out, and what's going to happen is, is there's going to be a new coming king. So in the moment of him prophesying their destruction, he's actually giving them hope, saying there's going to be a coming Messiah who's going to come and going to reign over what's called the New Jerusalem, and he uses the, this passage of Scripture to describe the characteristics of this coming king. It's found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. He says this, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, last week, if you didn't, you weren't with us for the first week, I highly encourage you to check it out on YouTube or one of our podcasts. Check it out. It's really, really good. Uh, talks about just the different ways that Jesus can be a counselor in your life. Mighty God, that's where we're going to be at today. He says, uh, next week, we're going to talk about God being the everlasting Father. And we're going to wrap up the series with Prince of Peace. And uh, we kind of get to this great passage of Scripture to describe the characteristics of Jesus. And with that as our backdrop, let's pray. Father, I love you, Lord. I thank you that today, God, you have a word for us. Yet yeah, I've, I've you know, created notes and put together some thoughts, but I know that every time I preach, God, you have a great sermon for us personally. And I pray that our hearts would be open, our minds would be clear in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Um, one of the cool things that, that I get to do as a dad, and maybe even you get to do as a father or as a mother, and as a parent, if you have kids, is when they're little, you're really their hero. You know, you're Superman to them. You're, you're Wonder Woman to them. You can seem to do anything and everything. And what I love is that I, have, I still have small kids right now, and one of the coolest things to do with them is to show them how cool and how powerful you can be. And one of the things that I did when my, when my sons were, uh, I have twin, twin uh, 12-year-old boys are about to be 13, so they're about to be in teenage lands. So you need to pray for your pastor because I'm in 
deep, deep trouble. And so, um, but I had twins right away. But when they were young, um, they, they were a, a whole lot of fun. Now, my boys are, are, are really smart. They're very intelligent. But uh, when they were young, they, they had a, a speech impediment. They kind of had to work through some speech issues, some comprehension issues. And to God's glory, they've, they've done really well with that. And um, But when they were young, they, they had a really bad speech delay. So, you know, when you typically see young kids start talking early, maybe two or three years old, four years old, they weren't to that level. And um, I used to love just kind of sitting and having a conversation with them and talking with them. And so one time I'm sitting as a dad, I'm sitting on the couch and I wanted to have fun with them and show them because I'm a new dad. I want to, you know, show them how, you know, how cool it is to, you know, to have a dad or whatever, you know. So they come over. I'm saying, come here, boys, come here. And they run over. I never forget. They're real tiny, real little. There's Riley and there's Kellen. And I did the famous cheesy dad trick where I pulled my thumb off of my hand, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all, who, who's all done that trick with their kids where you, you kind of, you got it, it's secret. Kids, you know, I'm giving away the, the, the trick, but you got to put your thumb between your finger and then you kind of show them like this and you say, all right, so, so I sat them down and I, I put them right in front of me and I was like, all right, son, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you how strong I am, how I can, I can do anything. And they're like, okay. So their eyes are real big. And I pull them like real close. And I said, watch, I'm going to pull my thumb off. And so I go like this. I'm like, like that. And they're like, they start freaking out. Right. I said, don't worry, don't worry. I'm going to put it back. And I put it back on. And, and I never forget two things. Okay. Two reactions. Kellen did this. He goes with his hand. He goes, wow. Like that. You know, he kind of says, wow, puts his hand on his face. So cute. And then Riley does the funny thing. He said the funniest thing. Sometimes things just sit in your spirit, you know, as a parent, you'll never forget. I'll never forget what Riley did. He goes, he puts it, he looks at it, he goes, he looks at the, my hand, looks back at me, and he goes, Dad, you do anything. He was saying, you, you can do, you do anything. And I said, that's right, son, I can do anything, so watch out, you know. And, and I remember hearing him say that. I remember what his eyes looked like. When he said, Dad, you can do anything. I remember thinking that there was no way I could convince that kid otherwise. There were, you, if, you, if you did a polygraph on him, if you, if you sat him down and you asked him about me, he would tell you, Dad is truly Superman. He can do anything. And then as I noticed, though, as time got gone on and life started to happen to them, and as things started to be revealed about dad, come on, and how they started to see how like dad's not as invincible as, as he once said he was as they were pinning me all down, all five of them yesterday, wrestling and punching me in the stomach repeatedly. You know, they started to realize dad, wait, dad was strong, but he couldn't, he can't do anything. And I've just noticed that, that when I first became a Christian, maybe you were like me, but my eyes were so wide. And I actually believe this book. And I actually believe that God could do anything. Dad, dad, dad could do anything. I remember thinking there was no mountain too big. And then what happened? Maybe you're like me, life. And there started to be moments where I, I would get into situations and things wouldn't go the way that I thought they would go and I'd get hurt. And I started to question whether or not God could do anything to the point where now does God do anything? 
I don't know, maybe you're not like me, or maybe you are. There, there's a tension in Christianity when it comes to God's power because God's power is so unique. In fact, Jeremiah talks about it. He talks about God and, and his ability to do anything. He talks about it in Jeremiah chapter 32. He says this. He says, ah, which is kind of the, the Hebrew word there. He's, he's saying like, whoa, like I'm just realizing and recognizing and you should recognize too. OK, he says, like, check it out. Sovereign Lord. You have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arms. So he said, look, if you can make heaven, you can do anything. I need to recognize first that God can do anything. Everybody around me, if you're listening in here, you're watching online, say, let me say, God. Come on, like you mean it. Say, God can do anything. Say it again. Say, God can do anything. Let's do it just one more time like you're an old gospel preacher and you got it in your belly. Say, God can do anything. So you have to remind yourself in some of these moments and seasons when you feel like everyone else is telling you God has forgotten us, that God can do anything. So Jeremiah reminds us, remember, God made heaven. He can do anything. Then he goes on to say, nothing is too hard for you. He says, nothing. You, 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 you have the ability to move any mountain, to change any circumstance, to heal any disease, to change any mind. God, you, you can do anything. In fact, you can do anything so much that you are, you are what, what, what Jeremiah references as sovereign, which means you, you have the ability and the power to do anything that you please, Right? My problem, though, arises is that I want God to do everything I please. Anybody else watching online, maybe not in here, online, for sure you're like this with me, is that I'm okay with God's infinite power as long as he does what I want him to do. As long as he believes the way that I want him to believe, and he, he, he thinks the same way that I think, and he, he watches the same channels that I watch, and we do the same things that I do. Come on, like, God, I'm good with that as long as I'm sovereign and you're not. Even, even when we think about God's power, it's, it's tough to comprehend. Theologians who are much smarter than I am, um, they, they try to help us, you know, because when you try to figure out God, it's pretty hard, which, by the way, is not possible. So whenever you try to figure out God, just so you know, whenever you try to figure out God, whenever you do figure out God, he ceases to be God. So let's forget the idea that you need to fully understand God before you try Christianity, for those of you who have not done it yet. Because I laugh at people sometimes. They're like, well, I got to fully understand the Bible and fully understand a God before I try this whole Christianity thing out. Just so you know, ain't none of us fully understand it. In fact, you don't even really believe what you just said. Because you get in a car and you drive in a vehicle that you push a button nowadays. You don't even turn the key. How many of y'all's cars don't even have a key no more? You just push a button. The button turns on the car and you drive it. You don't know what's going on under the hood. No, I know how cylinders work. No, you don't. No, you don't. We do a whole lot of things. Come on. In the world. You hold the standard for God and experiencing God way higher than you do anything else in the world. And you try it out. So let's put that aside. But truly understanding God is, is going to be a tough thing. So what theologians wind up doing is they use these types of words to help us understand them. They use prefixes like omni, which just means all. It's just a Latin word for all. So they, they kind of try to help us understand God. So here's a few of them. One of them is that, that God is omniscient, which means he's all-knowing. Which means that he's not smart. God's not smart. He's all-knowing. There's a difference. 
And people talk about like God's a smart God. No, no, no. He knows everything. That's a, there's a difference that we're talking about here. Like he's never been to study hall. He's never had to figure it out. He, it's never occurred to God. He's never went to Google. He's never had to figure out where things are. He knows everything. Why? Because he's, he's omniscient. He's never had to study or reason or get counsel. He just knows. We can't even fully understand that. Another word they, theologians use is that he's, he's omnipresent, which means he's, he's all present, which means God, literally, he doesn't go places. He's already there. He's never been on a trip. He's never been to Travelocity. He's never had to buy a Priceline ticket. He's never had to figure out the stars and the reviews. He's already, he's already there. Come on. Why? Because he's, he's all present. One of the best ones is he's omnipotent, which means he is all powerful. God is not strong. I, like what, I know what you're saying when you say God's strong, but he's not strong. He's all powerful. There's a difference. There's never been a moment where he's been weak. He's never tried to do something. He's never been on a bench press and said, can I get a spotter? Right? He's never worked out. He's never been to the YMCA like me. He's never been to the smoothie bar, right? Hanging out with everybody else. He doesn't do stuff like He is all, come on, he is all powerful. When we, we rest when we're tired. God rests when he's done. Maybe the best way to describe God, just to help, I'm trying, I'm trying to get an idea of God's power here, okay? Maybe the best way to describe it is that it, takes, it doesn't require God anything for him to do everything. He needs nothing and no one to do everything in the world. And yet, we struggle understanding he's a mighty God. Maybe it's because we think of God as a genie. And the only time we talk to him is when we, we have our, our three wishes. I feel like we just rub the Bible and then God's going to pop out and we're like, all right, get ready. I'll give you my list. But God's not a genie. In fact, his power, I think, oftentimes is, is, not, is, is not manipulated so much as it's misunderstood and it's incomplete in our theology. And I think if we can get a better grasp of the gods that we serve, or the God that we serve in this book, and his power, then I think this holiday season and our lives can be better. So, so, so in the time I have left, I want to maybe just to share with you three ways that God's power works in our life. Because oftentimes when we speak of God's power, we think of, him, uh, of God's power as working in really only one way. And I want to give you maybe three different facets of God's power that can help us. Maybe we can access it and have it work differently in our lives. Everybody say, okay. Everybody say, I got you. All right, number one is this. Three ways God's power is at work with us. Number one is Jesus' power is at work for us. So the key word there is for. He's at work for us. I like what Scripture says in Isaiah. It says he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Okay, now that's important because that could be you right now. I would bear to say there's some places in your life that you feel weak. He said, even youths grow, to, uh, grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. He says, I like this. He says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. So he, what he says is he says that that word used there in, in the Hebrew, it actually is better describing an Olympic athlete. So think of someone that you know right now. Maybe it's in pop culture or maybe you just know as the strongest, most muscular. Maybe it's the rock, right? Maybe it's like Arnold. Maybe it's somebody. Think of somebody who you feel like would never, ever, ever get tired. The ultimate Olympic athlete. That's who he's describing. And what he's saying is even they get weak. 
Even the strongest that you would think, the strongest of the strong of the strong, they get tired. He said, so if that's true, then you and I need to rely on something other than our own personal strength so that we can actually be renewed and get to where we're trying to get to. He's saying that you and I have a big, it's a big deal that we understand that you and I will all fall under weakness. And maybe that's you today. Maybe it took everything in your power to get here today. Maybe you're watching online, you're like, you don't even understand what happened to me. You're lucky that I'm watching this. Maybe just coming to church was a, was a chore. Maybe you're in a marriage right now and you're struggling and you feel weak. Maybe you feel like there's no hope. Maybe the only reason that you are still together is because you're just trying to get through the holidays, which, by the way, is pretty typical because lawyers are looking forward to January and February. People know that. that lawyer, they actually, that's known. There's a season. like the, Literally, the divorce season is coming, January and February, because people hang on through Christmas for the kids. And you're right now, maybe you're watching online or you're in here and there's something in your marriage where you feel like I'm too tired to go on. I'm too weak. Maybe it's in your, your finances. You feel like, man, you don't realize that, that, that every Christmas, all it does is remind me all the things I don't have to give to the people that I do love. Maybe it's in your health right now. Maybe you're struggling in your health. You feel like you prayed and asked God over and over and over again to heal you. And yet again, you wake up with the same ailment. Maybe you feel weak. And what God is saying in this moment and what, what even Isaiah is helping us understand is that his power works for us when we get weak. That it, it, the cliche of everybody when you tell someone that you're weak is when, what do they always tell you? Well, don't be weak. That's like everybody's saying. Like, be strong. Man, I feel tired. Well, don't, don't feel tired. You don't get rest. Feel strong. That's what everybody tells you, right? Don't you hate that? You've just shared your whole life with someone. You sit down, you're crying, you're sharing their whole life with them, and you're like, what do I do? And they tell you, well, just don't be like that. You're like, thanks. I appreciate that advice. It would seem that Paul was writing that to the church in Ephesians when he says this. He says, finally, be strong. Because if he would have stopped there, that's kind of what everyone else says. But he says, don't be strong in and of yourself. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. They, they, you need to understand the only way that you and I are going to get to where you're going to get to, Isaiah says it, Paul says it in the scriptures, is that if you rely on God's power, you're not strong enough. You can't make it. You're not going to do it. It's like encouraging message today with Pastor Aaron Christmas time. Thank you for that. Do I hear people all the time? I'm not going to make it. I'm like, yeah, you're not. Well, I can't handle all this season. It's too much. I said, I know. And they look at me like, you're supposed to tell me I can do it. You can't do it. You can do it with God. Well, I'm supposed to make it. If I just try harder. No, no, no. If I was just stronger. No, no, no. Just be strong in the Lord. I was riding uh, my bike with my sons. Well, I wasn't riding a bike. I was tr I'm trying to stay alive. So I wasn't riding. I was walking. My kids were riding their bikes around. I'm walking around the neighborhood trying to stay out of the way, trying to keep my kids from running out into the middle of the street. And uh, we're driving, you know, he's, or here, they're riding their bikes, and I'm walking. And Judah, you know, I have five boys, and so they're, they're, they're all walking with me. And, and, uh, and so they're riding ahead, and Judah's in the back, my little six-year-old son. He's in the back, and he's taking forever. We're kind of going up this hill, and he's like, Dad. And I'm like, come on. He's like, I'm tired. 
You ever get that when your kids, you know, isn't that the worst? You go to SeaWorld or Disneyland, you know, back when, you know, you could actually go do that stuff. And so, you know, like you're walking around and they, they say those words, Dad, I'm tired. Will you pick me up? You know, will you do it? And when you were the one who tried to tell them, don't come and don't do this because you're going to get tired and I'm going to have to pick you up. No, Dad, we're going to be fine. I just want to go. Let me ride my bike. I'm like, okay. So we ride the bike and he's in the back holding everybody up, talking about he's tired. You know what I did? Because I'm a good dad, man of God. Obviously, I read the Bible. Love Jesus. I look back. I'm like, don't be tired. Be strong. Try harder. You know, I'm like screaming at him. And you can just see his countenance. is just like. <sighs> I remember in that moment thinking I should probably, you know, care and go help him. And so I, I go down and I'm like, son. And he goes, Dad, I'm tired. Goes, I'm tired. I said, I get it. I said, but like, why don't I, why don't I help you? So I grabbed him, put him on his bike, and I, we started, he started pedaling. And I said, pedal, pedal, pedal. And so I pushed him, I'm pushing, I'm pushing, I'm pedal, 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 pedal. Before you knew it, like we're running, you know, like we're running together. And he's, he's going up this hill so fast. I, could, I was looking at his face. The only way to describe it is like a, when, when a dog sticks his head out a window in a car, you know, and it's like the ears and everything's flying. I mean, he was flying. So he's going up this hill and he's screaming and he says, Dad, thank you. He says, all I needed was help. All I needed was help. It was funny because, you know, I think sometimes we're like that with God a little bit. We're on a hill. A lot of us are on a hill of life right now. I mean, I'm like 2020 is one big, one giant mountain, you know? I'm like counting down the days. I'm like, I hate this year. I hope this isn't goes away. Like, this is terrible. 2021. I don't even care about it anymore. I'm already in 2021. I, don't even, I have disavowed 2020. I'm like, you, you, we've been erased. And so my kids went from, you know, 10 to 12. That's it. You know, and they, 11 year old's gone. So, um, but I, I think a lot of us are on the bottom of the hill. And some of us are really struggling getting up it. And I think some of the best things we could do is just look up to Daddy and say, will you help me? Dad, Dad will, you, will you help me? God's not screaming down saying, be strong. He's not screaming down at you telling you, just, just try harder. I think sometimes he's waiting for you to just ask him for help. If you ask him for help, come on, the moment Judah asked me for help, he had the best time. So don't be strong. Be strong in the Lord. Amen? Yes. Number two is this. Um, so if it's Jesus at power work in you. The, the second one is Jesus at power at work through us. Now, this is the one that we don't like. And this is because it doesn't pertain to you. In fact, it's actually not for you. And so since it's not for you, we don't tend to pray for God to give us power to do this type of stuff. In fact, what's funny is in Acts chapter 1, Jesus talks about his power and the importance of and the role that his power plays in going not just to you, but through you. Come on, how many of y'all know that? Going not just to you, but, but through you. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So you're going to get, you're going to have the Holy Spirit come live up in you when you say yes to me. There's going to be something that's going to happen when you say yes to God. He says, it's going to come into you. And then here's why. Here's the whole point of my power. It's not so you feel holy. He says, so you go be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the reason he described all those things is because there are people that they liked. There's people in there that they hated. And there are people in there that, that they didn't even know. So you, he was trying to encompass the world. He goes like, all? Yeah, all. So the point of you getting God's power, the whole point is for you to go and be witnesses. 
Like the old school church, like, can I get a witness, right? Come on. Like I grew up in a church where like when, what, what would happen is the pastor was crazy and he would do stuff like he would hand the mic. There'd be a time in church where he'd hand the mic over to someone in the church pews, which, by the way, will never happen here. And so it always went to, come on, Sister Mary Hubbard, and she stood up for six hours talking about her grandkids. Like, that ain't no witness. Giving her best recipe for muffins. Like, we don't care about what you're talking about. And so, but the point of it was, like, they'd get up. You're supposed to get up and have a witness and have a test, a testimony. Come on, how you going to get up and testify, right? Like, the whole point of it was to show people God's power at work through you. Like, you're supposed to be a walking, living testimony, a walking, living witness of what God's power can do in someone's life. So you're not supposed to just get power to keep it. You're supposed to get power to give it. So you're supposed to get it to give it. Everybody say, I'm going to get it to give it. Yeah, say it again. Say, I'm going to give it. Wait, hold on. I messed it up. I'm going to get it to give it. See, I told you you need to pray for me. So anyway, you're supposed to get his power, come on, so that you can be a witness. And I, I frustrate. What frustrates me as a pastor is not those who aren't saved. What frustrates me as a pastor is for those who call themselves Christians are so worried about themselves and not about the great co-mission, the great co-mission of Christ to be a witness. His power is supposed to work through us. Not just to us. If you know God, if you're not a Christian in here, this ain't for you. I'm going to get on the Christians right now. I got you. Don't worry. If you know God and you're a Christian and you don't allow his power to work through your life, you miss the whole point. The reason you're a Christian is because someone allowed God's power to work through their life. Hello. You're supposed to be a witness. You're supposed to step out. If you see someone hurting, don't pray for them. Help them. Your witness. Don't ask God to send someone to help them. He already did. Your witness. A few years back, I was in my office. I was working at another church, and I had a, just the worst day ever. Sit in my office. My door was closed, but I had a little one of those, like, windows. My friend walks by. And, uh, this is the funniest one. When they walk by, and they go, <laughs> he's there. He walks in. He goes, hey, man, how's it going? I'm, man, I'm just having the worst day, you know. And, again, I, I grew up, like most of us who, you know, Grew up in a church where it was, it was kind of taboo to tell people how you really felt. You know? Like when you came into a church, you couldn't, if you were, your, your life would be in shambles. But when somebody asked you how you were doing, you were like, well, I'm blessed. But you weren't blessed. I'm highly favored. You weren't highly favored. God's good all the time. And all the time is God is good. And you're, you just, it's almost like you had these like Christianisms that came out of your mouth before you even understood and recognized what you were saying. It's not like any of those aren't true, but I'm just telling you, like, you would say stuff that would, would, would not be helpful in the process. 
And so my friend comes in, he asks me how I'm doing. I'm like, uh, I'm, doing, I'm doing all right. And he's like, I can see on your face, you're not doing all right. And so I, I started sharing with him, you know, how things are going. And he did something funny. He did the craziest thing. He says, all right, I'll pray for you. So I'm going to pray for you. I was like, all right. So I put my head back down and I started typing on my computer. And he says, what are you doing? I was like, what? I thought we were done. Like, that's what we say in church. That's what Christians do. We, we say we're going to pray for people and then we never do. I had so trained myself to not even recognize when someone said they were going to pray for me to actually expect them to pray for me. Come on, how, how many of y'all like that little bit, right? You hear somebody and they say, oh, I'll pray for you. You know they ain't going to pray for you. That's just what we say. And he goes, what are you doing? And I said, I don't know. And he goes, I said I was going to pray for you. So let's pray. I got the power of God in my life. And it ain't just for me. That's what he said. I got the power of God in my life. Let's pray that God intervenes in this situation. Let's pray. And he prayed for me. I know that sounds crazy, but he actually prayed for me. And I could feel, y'all, like I could feel my faith like rise up. I wanted to sit and be an Eeyore, right? Like, hmm. You know, and so, because like when something bad happens to us, we all want to do that, by the way. We all want to just go, hmm. And we want people to feel sorry for us. And we want to post it on social media so that people can feel digitally sorry for us. So they can hit a little sad face emoji con. <laughs> and say digitally, praying for you. And we can vent to the world that can't help it. And he prayed for me. And my faith rose up. And before you knew it, I left my office walking around trying to pray for other people. I'm like, God can do it for me. He can do it for you. What do you want prayer for? They're like, I'm good. Everything's fine. I'm like, don't lie. Let's pray right now. You know, I'm like pulling out the anointing oil and the, the, the cloth and everything. I'm like, let's go. Well, what happened is that, that he allowed, come on, the power of God to work through him and to me so that I can actually have my faith rise up. Why? Because he was a witness. And my prayer is that in this season, you don't just pray for God's power in your life. You pray for it, God's power to work through you into someone else's. The third one, finally, as I wrap up today, Jesus worked. So we're talking about the power, the way, the way God's power works. Third one is Jesus's power is at work in us. Now, this is the one we never pray for. And this is the one we don't talk about a lot. This is maybe the one of the most underappreciated, undervalued, and underutilized power of God that we access on a regular basis because it's so unique. In fact, it's so, it's a private thing almost because God's doing it in you. Philippians chapter two, this is Paul writing to the church of Philippi. He's saying God is working in you. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power. There it is again, the power to do what pleases him. He's working in you. There's something God's doing in the quiet, in the silent, in the private. It's like, He's working on the things that people can't see so that you produce well in the things that people can see. It's, it's, it's God's working on the root and not just the fruit. Now, I'm not a farmer by any stretch of the imagination, but I've picked fruit before off of a tree, and when you 
take a fruit off of a tree. Here's what's funny about a tree. You take the, the, the apple, let's just say. When you pull the apple off the tree, inevitably the apple comes back. And my concern as a pastor is that we've created a following of Christians and churches that are so concerned with fruit, they forget the root and you waste your whole life trying to be tree trimmers when you were designed to be farmers. You're designed to cultivate the root. There's a whole lot. Of, in fact, there were, there were um, a lot of fruit inspectors in Jesus' day. They called them Pharisees. And they're there, they were then, and they're here now. Y'all just don't wear robes. And you like to point out everybody's rotten fruit. So here's what happens is I could point out you shouldn't look at that on the Internet. And I can prove to you in the Bible where pornography is a sin and, and evil and abhorrent to God and how it hurts humanity and devalues human life. I could show that to you in the Bible, and I could tell you it's a sin. And we can go all day long and walk through every sin in your life. And I could pick every fruit off your tree that's rotten. Only problem is, is if the root is rotten, your fruit's going to be rotten. And you need to know this. God is more concerned with your root than your fruit. Our church is more concerned with your root than your fruit. That's why you can come in here and not even know God. Smelling like Saturday night. Isn't that what pastors used to say? You're walking in here smelling like Saturday night. You know, everybody starts thinking about their Saturday night. You can walk in here. And your fruit can look pretty terrible. And here's what's the cool part. You won't hear me talk to you about your fruit. Fruit's a byproduct of a root. So I can tell you it's a sin. It's always laughing people, man. They always tell me, you need to get up there and say something's a sin. I said, why? I said, because that's when they won't do it. Did you sin today? Well, yeah. Did you know it was a sin? Well, yeah. That didn't help you. What if I fix your root? Jesus actually says it in John chapter 15. He uses some, it's interesting. I just think it's interesting that he uses this analogy. He says, remain in me and I'll remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. How are you going to produce holy fruit if you ain't connected to a holy vine? I, I don't understand. He's, he said, you got to be connected to me. The only way you produce godly things is if you're connected to God. So, yes, there's sin. But if I could get you close to God and remain in him, your fruit will follow. And I, I, think, I think that's my, my hope, is that we would focus on our root system. And here, how, again, it's in the private, secret moments, the quiet moments. It's in the, like the little things that produce the big things. It's like, you know, you read in the Bible, or you hear me say it, or you might maybe read in a good devotional. Like, you should read your Bible. Sometimes I'll read my Bible, and, like, I'm just being, like, transparent. Sometimes I'll read my Bible, I'm like, I don't know what I just read. And then sometimes I'll read my Bible, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. That's such a good word. Yeah, it's a revelation. Sometimes I'll pray, and I'll hear nothing, and feel nothing, and not understand what the heck's going on. 
And sometimes I'll pray and I'll be like, man, I just heard from, from God. Sometimes I'll come to church and I'll feel the presence of God, right? If you, that's, what they, that's what church folks say. Well, you felt the presence of God. You'll feel something. God was here. God did something. And sometimes I'll come to church and I'll be like, I don't know what that was. And it's in the tension that I think God's working on us. It's in the little things that are quiet and private that produce over a long period of time, some amazing results. There was a, a story I read in one of the books I have about a, a man named Stephen Gurlett. And I want to read this to you. I think this is relevant for this particular point. It said, about a century ago, Stephen Gurlett was led to one day go out to a heavily forested area of America to preach. It was a strong inward compulsion of the Holy Spirit. So he felt God told him to go and preach to this really foresty, wooded area. When he arrived at the loggers' camp, he found they had moved to another location and their shanties were deserted, so there was nobody there. However, he was so sure that he was sent by God that he went into an empty shanty and preached to the bare walls the sermon God had placed upon his heart. He returned then to his home, and he could never understand why God would send him to preach to an empty shanty. God, why do you ask me to read the Bible every day? God, why do you ask me to pray every day? God, why do you have me go to church? God, why do I need to have godly friends? God, I don't understand right now. You sent me somewhere. You asked me to do something. This makes no sense. Does anybody else relate to that other than me and this guy named Stephen? Anybody else? Okay, good. So he has this moment with God. God, what are you doing? Many years later, as he walked across a bridge, a man grasped his arm and said, I found you at last. Mr. Gurlett replied, I think you're mistaken, sir. The man with conviction said back, no, you didn't preach. No, didn't you preach in an empty shanty in the woods several years ago? Mr. Gurlett admitted, yes, but, but no one was there. How did you know? The man exclaimed, I was a foreman in charge of the loggers. We had moved to a new location, but before long, I realized I left one of my tools behind. When I returned I, to get it, I heard a voice in one of the shanties. I peered through a crack between the logs and saw you. You never saw me, but I listened to the rest of the sermon. God touched my heart that day, and I became so convicted of my sins. After some time, I purchased a Bible, repented of my sins, and became a Christian. Then I went back and began to win every single one of my men to Christ. I counted up over the years how many people were affected by that one moment. Your sermon has led over a thousand people to Christ, and three of them have gone on to become missionaries to other countries. Now, I think sometimes God asks us for the little stuff, the little disciplines in life, and the, to be a little disciple. God has asked you to, to fix the root systems. You know where roots are? They're underground, ain't nobody see them. And what he's saying is, you got to fix what's in the quiet. When no one's looking at you, and when the only person that can see you is, is yourself and God, and when you fix those quiet areas and those, those behind-the-scene areas, come on, you'll be surprised how all the public areas seem to look that much better. Maybe you today can pray and think about God's work and God's power at work, not just for you, not just through you, but also in you this Christmas season.